Well, if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Mark chapter 1. As we're working our way through the Gospel of Mark, I understand that um, uh, our Sunday school curriculum, beginning uh, next week, actually begins to walk through Mark as well. And so you can find out as you come to Sunday school all the places I'm wrong as we preach through Mark. And uh, it'll, be, it'll be good to, as a... As a uh, supplementary study and as one it's basically going to be um, probably dealing with so many different things that we're not going to be able to do as we as I preach through this to be able to walk through Mark together in Bible study which will be um, a great asset as it always is so if you're not a part of one of our small groups please come and be part of Sunday school we'd love to have you here and study through this book as we begin that too as well today we're in Mark chapter 1 we're starting in verse 14 this is a passage that last week we kind of skipped over and we're going back to fill in. This is that passage they're familiar with. Uh, we're very familiar with that talks about us being fishers of men. And so let's read this, starting in verse 14, and we'll read down through verse 20. Now, after John had been taken into custody, talking about John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon. Now, we know that Simon is Peter, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray in the next few moments that you would just teach us from your word. You would help us to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus and one who you are making into a fisher of men. So, Lord, I pray as we go about our lives fulfilling your purpose and being those who are fishing for men, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to do and accomplish that very thing you've called us to. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The aroma of a home-cooked meal filled the room as Dawson and a young sailor named Les Spencer sat at a kitchen table. Dawson had been a California lumberyard worker. He started out strong. But after a brilliant high school career, Dawson's life floundered. He went from Boy Scout, student body president, and valedictorian to gambler, pull shark, and drunk. He was running bootleg liquor and consuming it during Prohibition. And when law, local law enforcement officers caught him drinking, he uttered a quick, save me, prayer. And by the grace of God, that prayer took. Now, years later, Dawson and his wife had opened their home for regular meetings to teach scripture to guys from the Navy. And these two men sat and together and met several times each week. With a welcoming smile, Dawson's wife set the table and, the, and put the plates in front of them. And Dawson opened his well-worn Bible. Over the course of these Bible studies, Spencer's life changed. In the scriptures, he discovered who Jesus is and what he's done. Spencer began to talk with Jesus and listen to the thing uh, things he had said and Dawson called Spencer a producer that is a man who would show that he had learned to, to uh, 
what he had learned to another man and to help him connect with Jesus. The change was so evident that several of Spencer's fellow sailors on the USS West Virginia asked him about it. But Spencer struggled. He told Dawson he had prayed and prayed and asked God to send him more producers, but though those guys he talked to were willing to go to church, they were never really anything else more than that. They weren't willing to do anything else more than that. And Dawson told him, ask God for one. You have to have one before you can have two. Within a few weeks, there were three places set at the table, one for Dawson, one for Spencer, and one for a friend whom Spencer brought from the ship. And as Spencer and Gurney Harris, this new man, had sat down at the table, Dawson grinned and reached for his Bible. Spencer said, teach them to do what you've taught me. And Dawson responded, no, you teach him. Spencer did teach Gurney about Jesus, and Gurney taught another sailor who taught another sailor. And before they knew it, their message of hope spread throughout the United States Navy with 125 men living for Christ on the USS West Virginia. Their extraordinary reach was miraculous. Dawson Trotman, founder of the Navigators, later recalled that there was a work going forward on 50 ships of the United States fleet. How do we become fishers of men? And what moves us from converts to disciples and from disciples to disciple makers? What is it that does that? Here in this passage in Mark 1, we see Jesus call four of his disciples, Andrew and Peter, James and John. The latter left their father and the former left their job in order to heed the call of Jesus when he said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. These and others like them would leave people, possessions, positions, previous plans to passionately pursue this man from Nazareth. It is highly unlikely that these followers of Jesus understood what it really meant, what, it, what was really required whenever they heard the words, follow me. So it is with us. We know that, when we, that to trust in Jesus, we, we know this much, that to trust in Jesus is to admit that his crucifixion was an act of Jesus once and for all satisfying God's wrath for the sins of man. We know that to trust in Jesus is to believe that he rose from the grave on the third day, proving he is Lord and has power over sin and death. We know that to trust in Jesus is to confess our sins and to receive the forgiveness he offers and by faith accept that he has secured heaven for us as our eternal home. We know these things. But in between, what, what do we believe about that time in between? Between trusting Jesus and going home to heaven. What, what is our life supposed to look like from that day of salvation till the day of our death? It means that all that time is, is structured for this purpose, that we would follow him, that he might make us become fishers of men. That message was not just for those disciples at that moment. That message is for all who would come after Jesus. So let's look at that, that what he says here. That little phrase, that short sentence that he gives when Jesus looks at these fishermen who are there casting their nets out upon the sea uh, to be fishing. And he looks at them and he says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. First, when Jesus said to follow me, he meant 
that all who come after him should follow him. Listen, three things. In purpose, in instruction, and in example. He, he, he's saying that when you come after me, you need to come. He, he, listen, he's not saying that we, when Jesus said follow me, he's not like, remember the first grade teacher when it was lunchtime? And she said, all right, everybody line up. And she got a single file line, and they got behind you, and you walked down to the cafeteria, and you were just, you, you were like a Spartan warrior fighting to the front of that line so that you could walk down only to have the teacher say, okay, we're going to start back here, and they're going to go to the front line. Um, and so we, we understand that. We just got in line behind the teacher and followed right there. He's not saying to follow, me, to follow him like that kind of thing. He's saying that when we follow him, he's calling us to abandon all of our previous priorities, all of them, and commit our lives to whatever he commands. When Jesus says, follow me, he is, he is not saying, hey, just get in and, and jump on. And, if you don't, and at some point, you don't like that and hop off. He's saying, you're going to give up all that you had as your priority. You're going to make my priorities your priorities. And you're going to go where I go, do what I do. And whatever I ask, you will follow. So he says to, that we should follow him in purpose. Well, what was his purpose? John 3, 17 says, For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And in Luke 19, 10, the scripture says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. To follow Jesus is to understand our ultimate purpose is to lead people to Christ. Now, I've I, I got to tell you, as a believer, I became a believer as a seven-year-old boy. And, for, and you know what? Watching these young ones up here singing and talking about Jesus and somebody pointing to that um, uh, cloth there, you know, that has the, the plan of salvation on it. The guy walked through it perfectly down here just a moment ago. It was awesome. Did you know that what was, we saw illustrated by two children right here in a moment ago is the very purpose of every one of our lives that have been called to follow Jesus? You think, well, I'm not going to go out tomorrow and say, at work, and I'm going to throw out a cloth and go, Phew. let me walk through something with you. You know what? You might be shocked at what happened when you did that. I had a friend of mine who committed to say he was going to share the gospel at least once a day. For, he, he decided, I'm going to take a month, and I'm going to share the gospel every day, at least one time a day for a month. So for 30 days, he shared the gospel. And so after he'd done this, he came and he talked to me. He says, Andy, you, do you know how many people, as I started sharing the gospel with, just started talking to him about Jesus? He said it was a lot of it was mostly just cold. Here, hey, I'm talking to you about Jesus now. Which, by the way, you know how that goes off in most conversations. You're standing there talking about baseball or football or something, all of a sudden it's like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And the people are like, ooh. He said, you know how many times I was rejected on those 30 days? And I said, oh, I don't know. Had, it had to be high. I don't know, 20-something? He goes, three. Only three. He said, Andy, let me tell you something. People need Jesus. We don't think they want them, but our very purpose is to share him with others. So, because he's already preparing their hearts. He's speaking to them. They need them. And our purpose is to share. And so we're to follow him in that purpose. That is to see people saved. We're to, we're to follow him in instruction. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, he stated, as a part of that Great Commission, 
teaching them to observe all that I commanded them. That is, Jesus instructed us on so many different things when he was speaking in, in, in the Gospels, when we read what he has to say for us. He, he instructed us on how to love God and how to love others. He instructed us on how to settle arguments. We usually know how to settle arguments, don't we? We're right and you're wrong. I had a friend of mine who used to always say to me, Andy, I didn't say we had to agree. I was just saying I was right. Uh, a good phrase. You might want to use that sometime. But he instructed us on how to settle arguments. He instructed us on how to be merciful and how to forgive. He taught us how to pray, how to value people, and how to advance his kingdom. He told us how to avoid the snares of pride and wealth and the snares of Satan and the world. He gave us hard, fast rules for black and white issues, and he gave us principles to utilize when things are less discernible. He taught us how to be bold, yet instructed us how to be humble. Jesus provided us with a treasure chest of instruction, yet he doesn't expect his followers to know his commandments. He expects them to obey them. Listen, we're to follow him and his instruction. There are so many things. And, and let me tell you something. The weight of his instruction, he, we're going to get to it in a minute. But you just look at the Sermon on the Mount and tell me you can fulfill all that. There's instruction there, and yet to follow him is to say yes to all of it. And to follow him is to follow him in example. Colossians 2, 6, and 7 says, Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted, and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. So as Jesus walked, we, we are to walk. We're to follow Christ's example of prayer. We're to follow his example of fasting, of serving, and leading. We're to follow his example of engaging people with the truth, having a high standard of conduct, but showing mercy when people don't live up to it. That's what Jesus does with us. You know that? Well, he sets the bar way up here. If you think you set the bar high in somebody's life, let me tell you, Jesus sets the bar way up here. And he shows a lot of mercy when we don't reach it. And we're to follow his example. We're to follow his example of praying for our enemies. There's a fun one. I like those Old Testament prayers, you know, and you get in the Psalms and stuff where people are like, hey, Lord, my enemies are coming against me. Kill them. <laughs> Jesus says that we're to pray for our enemies, for those who persecute us. We're to uplift the downtrodden. We're to live unselfishly. We're to follow his example in all those things. To follow Jesus in example is to understand that as followers of Jesus, our conduct communicates to an unbelieving world what Jesus is like. Our goal should be to give them an authentic picture of Jesus. If we're to follow him in example, listen, we can't just say we're going to live as we ought to and claim Jesus as our Savior. We have to follow his example because the truth is the first time we mention Jesus to somebody and we've been around them for a while, and they go, your life, is that supposed to be an example of Jesus? They'll either say, I want that, or I don't want any part of that. 
And the goal of all of ours is to be that we give them an authentic picture of Jesus so they'd say, oh, please tell me, how do I get that in my life? So he says to follow him. To follow him in purpose and instruction and example. And it says, he will make us to become. He says, follow me and I will make you to become. By the way, this is how it all is done right here. Is that Jesus is going to make us into this. Because if we set out on our own to do it, it's not going to go very well. Like I said, one look at the Sermon on the Mount, and it's obvious we can't live up to the, the standard that Jesus unfolds. But that is always the case in regard to our character and conduct. We never measure up. That is why Jesus indicates here that it's not about what we can or will do, but rather he will, what it's about is what he will make us to become. He's going to shape us. Now, we're not always going to like how he's going to shape us. Some days we will, and some days we won't. But he's going to shape us by his hand, in his strength, and according to his timing. So let's look at each of those really quickly. He is going to make us to become what we need to be by his hand. Paul said in Philippians 1, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That is, what Jesus starts and he begins in a life, he is going to work until he sees it perfected. It is the work of the Holy Spirit within us that is shaping us into vessels of holiness and purpose. John 16, 13 says, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, that is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will disclose to you what is to come. The Holy Spirit is there to continue to instruct us and guide us. He is, that is the hand of God within us, causing us to be like Jesus. And he's working on us. Now, the hand of the Holy Spirit some days is a hand of comfort. Some days it, it, it's, it's a hand that um, is, is one that's pushing us a little bit, challenging us, moving us along. And sometimes the hand of the Holy Spirit is more like a foot right in the backside to get us moving where we need to go. But he is there by his hand. He is accomplishing this. And it's accomplished in his strength, when he's saying these guys, I'm going to call you to be fishers of men, he's not just giving some analogy that a fisherman would understand, but he's saying, I'm going to make you into one who is going to, to do things that you could never imagine you could do. And it's going to be through his strength, loving our enemies. Listen, loving our enemies, going the extra mile, turning the other cheek. You remember all these things that we were instructed to do from Jesus? These are all things that require strength beyond what we normally possess. It will be his strength that we rely on to help us accomplish the Christ-like life. Louis Zamperini, some of you have heard that name. His life story of suffering at the hands of bloodthirsty prison guard and Japanese prisoner of war camps in World War II and his survival was told in the book that became a bestseller called Unbroken. It was also made into a film. Some of you have seen that film. The problem with I have with Unbroken, I don't know if you, anybody, anybody read the book? Got any hands? Anybody read the book? The book's a fantastic book. Is that 
it's, it's not named properly. He wasn't unbroken. He went through some, I mean, the guy's story of survival is unbelievable. If you have not read that book, let me just go ahead and encourage you to read the book. What he endured is unbelievable. But once he returned, and he survived it all, and he made it back home to his family. Once an, an Olympic athlete, uh, now this diminished person coming out of the, physically coming out of the prisoner war camp in and, and, uh, Japan and World War II, and he just survives to come home. But when he comes home, he has got so much pent-up anger and frustration. He, he doesn't know what to do with it. He marries this woman th that he loves, and then he starts drinking like crazy, and he, he becomes an alcoholic because he's just, he's just trying to kill the pain. He's got so much hate with inside his heart. All he can think about every day is going back to Japan and finding the people that tortured him, specifically this one that's called the bird, who was the one who was always... Um, tearing him down and trying to break him down and diminishing him beyond anything that a human ever ought to have to suffer. And he wanted to go back and kill them all. And he drank himself into oblivion. His, his wife walks out on him. And he is completely broken until he stumbles into a Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles, California. Didn't want to go but shows up, and the Lord reached down into his broken life and made him new. And instead of going back over to Japan and killing them all, he went back to Japan and forgave them all. You don't do that on your own power. You don't do that by your own hand. You do that through his strength the one who remakes you. And God is going, and Jesus here in this passage is making these disciples, and God's making us into ones who will be, become fishers of men according to his timing. Listen, when he says, I will make you to become, that little, that little to become, is, it doesn't mean that overnight that happens. You know, I don't know how many of you are like, yeah, I got saved the next day, but I was pretty much a mature disciple the day after. Right? That didn't happen. He's making us to become as according to his timing. The scripture here uses this phrase, he will make us to become. That is an indicator that Jesus is more interested in our permanent being than in an, any immediate behavioral change. Some people who have followed Christ have seen their lives change on the spot. They've gone from uh, once a you know, middle of addiction to immediately it's removed. And where there was anger and violence... It's gone. It's immediately replaced with passivity and peace. But others, they've seen their lives change over time. Our responsibility is not to set timetables for ourselves or others. I can tell you one of the things, you know, being a youth pastor so long, this, I always relate things back to some things that happen to youth, but you guys can relate to this. People come home from camp, they make a decision at camp, right? And here's what a lot of people do, sit back and they watch and they say, We'll see how long this lasts. What? That's not, that's not the heart of a believer. No, it's to jump in and say, oh, whatever I can do to help you walk like this the rest of your life, I will do. 
Our responsibility is not to set timetables for ourselves or others, but rather to be ready to yield to the hands of the potter as he shapes us, when he shapes us. And finally, he says, I'm going to make you be fishers of men. This and I'm done. When Jesus told Peter and Andrew that he would make them to become fishers of men, his directive was not just for them, it was for us all. Jesus came to reconcile the broken relationship between God and man. And he, his chosen method of reaching people uh, 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 is for that purpose. His chosen method is you and me. That's the way God decided to do it. He's going to reach them through us. So here are three things that fishers of men do quickly. First, they initiate when Jesus approached Andrew and Peter, they were casting their nets. As fishermen, they knew that fish don't just jump into the boat. You got to go after them. You know, nobody, he didn't see Peter and Andrew out there in the boat, and they just rode out there and said, all right, we're just waiting here. All right, let me blow a whistle here and let these fish jump into the boat. That's not how that works. Anybody who's gone out fishing knows that's not how it works. Matter of fact, most people that don't like fishing, they don't like fishing because they go out there and they sit, and they're just sitting there, and there's not a lot going on. Frankly, that's what I like about fishing. They sit out there and not much going on. We got to go after them. Fish don't just jump in the boat. We cannot wait on people to just come in these doors, find Christ, and join our fellowship. We got to go after them. Remember I said this was going to be awkward last week. Do you remember, anybody remember me saying that? Let me tell you something. We, listen, I'm, I'm talking, preaching myself just like I'm preaching to you. When we encounter people out where we're at, we need to go after them. And we need to let them know that there is a God that loves them. Jesus did not go into the synagogues and give a pitch for, for followers and then go down to the ballroom at the uh, Best Western in Capernaum and wait there to interview pr prospective disciples. That's not what he did. He went out and he called them. He went and he got them. You did not initiate your relationship with Jesus this may be a truth bomb, a realization for you today, but you didn't initiate your relationship with Jesus. He initiated it with you. John 6, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. The Holy Spirit of God draws us to himself, and that's how we get to God. As Jesus initiated with us, we are to initiate with others. I'd like a week where we all got embarrassed once. We, we just went out and said, okay, I'm, I'm going to go outside my personality this week, and I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus, just straight up, cold face, right there, and just not mean, so hard, you know, obviously, sweet-spirited, but say, hey, listen, i got to tell you something. i got to tell you about Jesus. Let me, the most evangelical job I ever had, and I've been in ministry for a long time now, 36 years plus, the most evangelical, evangelical job I ever had was working at a Schlotzky's. It was in a college town, and everybody in that thing, everybody that worked in that place, they were lost as they could be. And you know what? Whenever I spoke about the need for forgiveness, they, know, they knew what I was talking about. We can do that. We initiate because Jesus initiated with us. We want to initiate with others. And to be a fisher of men is to share. Later in Mark, in chapter 3, verse 14, we read, And he appointed twelve that they might be with him, that he could send them out to preach. Now listen, I, this is not talking about 
just uh, calling out somebody to ministry so they could go out and preach, become a preacher. This is talking about disciples going out and speaking about Jesus, preaching about Jesus. Some of us are content to just be with Jesus, but this, his whole purpose in spending time with us is that in order that he might send us out. Every believer needs to know how to share the good news of Jesus Christ because every believer is required to share the gospel. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit were not given us. Listen, this is going to be some really poor English, but it's the truth, all right? The Word of God and the Holy Spirit were not given to us to make us better understanders, all right? Or better agreeers. We have the Word and the Spirit of God to equip us to share the gospel. What's wonderful about that is that means when I share, the Holy Spirit's getting to work, and it's His work, not mine. Finally, there's not only initiating and sharing, but harvesting. Luke 10, 2 says, And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, this, did you catch those terms? Lord of the harvest. His harvest. Salvation is always a work of God, not man. He is already at work preparing hearts to receive him. Can I tell you something right now? All over this city, in Paul's Valley, Oklahoma, there are people that the Lord is preparing their hearts to receive him. What God needs is for those who are called by his name to go out and to open their mouths and just say, have you ever heard about Jesus? Because I think he might be the solution to your problem. That's all it is. All we have to do is go and share and receive those whom God has prepared for harvest. You can say, well, I'm not, I'm not sure that there's that big a harvest to be gathered right here in Paul's Valley. But let me tell you, I had conversations this week in our town. People in a restaurant, a supermarket, a hardware store who are all seeking work of the Lord in their life. Some just needing a church home. Some needed encouragement. Some needed more. But the Lord was at work in their lives. I can only imagine that if every believer in this sanctuary this morning talked to someone about Jesus this week, we would be shocked at the harvest that we would see a week from today. But you know what? My prayer is that one of these weeks, we find out. Because when Jesus spoke these words in Mark 1, he was speaking this, them to us all. Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers 